Hello, and welcome back to On This Day in History, a Marion County Library System podcast. On this podcast, we cover special events significant to Marion County. Today, we have invited a very special guest on the podcast to talk about the events of March 11, 1958, a day the small community of Mars Bluff made international headlines. Our special guest is Ms. Katherine Beeson. Ms. Beeson is a longtime resident of Marion County, a former school teacher, and as someone who grew up in the Mars Bluff area, has a unique perspective on this day's events. We'll let you take it from here, Ms. Beeson. My name, uh, she's already introduced me, but I start off. My name is Katherine Beeson, and I'd like to tell you a little bit about the day the bomb fell. Less than a mile from Francis Marion University, a crater 50 feet wide and 20 feet deep collects rainwater while reflecting a forest of tall pines, the sky, the clouds. I live in Marion, 15 miles from where this happened at Mars Club. My mother lived at Marsbuff also, and she had been over here in Marion visiting with me. And she had come for a few days because she always liked children, and I had twin boys. So she decided this day she wanted to go home. So I loaded up my twin boys. They were a year old, Greg and Michael, and my mother, and off we went. First, she wanted to stop at my brother Walter's house to tell them she was back. She lived less than half a mile away from Walter in the old home place. We stayed there a while and chatted, and then she decided she'd like to go over to my sister's and tell her also that she was back. Now, my sister lived about less than a half mile across a little patch of woods. So we left Walter's house and went over to my sister. And we hadn't been there very long. In fact, I always feel like I just escaped when we heard and felt this terrible, loud explosion. Now my brother-in-law was on the track in the field plowing. He was a retired Air Force person. So after the shock of hearing that loud explosion, we figured maybe he could tell us something. So we ran out outside and of course he didn't know what had happened either. He said he had seen a small plane go over not too long ago. So he went off to see about that. Now if you know anything anything about children. It was getting late and the boys being small, they were hungry, uh, they were tired, they were ready to go home. So instead of going around the neighborhood to see if I could check on what was going on, I put the boys in the car and we came back to Marion. When I got to 301 for my sister's house, which is just a short hop, I saw that there looked like there were more cars than usual. 
So anyway, um, I'm sure that during this time, the Air Force people that were on the plane, they had probably radioed back to their base to tell them something had happened. Um, so when I got back to Marion, which it only takes about 15, 20 minutes to get back over here, got my husband. He was county administrator at that time. He came home with the news that a bomb had fallen. Of course, that shocked me. And I said, well, we better go back over there and see what we can find out. Well, by the time we got back over there, the highway patrol, the Air Force, everybody, there was anybody was there. And they blocked off the road and we could not get near the house. And in fact, it was weeks almost before we could even get there. So we couldn't see my uh, folks, my uh, uh, brother. It was the next day before I began to hear the news of what actually happened. The bomb dropped from a U.S. Air Force B-47 Stratojet bomber attached to the Strategic Air Command on March 11, 1958, about 4.20 p.m during a training maneuver. The bomb probably contained a core of plutonium, around which was a ton and a half of TNT. It was, um, which was shaped around this. This made it a hydrogen bomb and with the plutonium in there. The TNT would have to um, impact, blow up before, and then it would set the plutonium off. But with all the systems on the bomb, there were electrical systems, and that was not fully attached from the um, plutonium to the TNT. Now, the bomb had to have a lock system to keep it stable in the plane. And the lock pin was not properly fastened. During this period of time, uh, it was learned that the Air Force guys looked up on the plane and there was a light flashing, which alarmed them because they knew that they surely had locked the bomb in before they took off. But it was not. So they sent a guy to the back to see if he could work on it. He could hardly get, he was trying to crawl across the bomb to get to the lock system. In the meantime, it kept slipping. The door was open. The bomb fell out. And the guy almost went with it, but he managed to scrabble back in to the plane. And of course, you know that they were doing all this talking on the radio back to their base. They tried, but they couldn't get the pin locked, of course. And then the mechanism to connect him to the plutonium wasn't fastened, thank goodness. The plane had pitched in the... Uh, around and so they knew that they had lost the bomb.
the 20-foot long hydrogen bomb landed a few hundred yards from Walter's home, shearing off pines like matchsticks. Then 3,000 pounds of high explosives blew up with a terrible, terrible roar. In fact, not a, it, it took me a long time to get over. It sounded like it went on and on, but it wasn't but a few seconds. But because it was such a terrible, um, explosive roar. Walter had seen a small plane going across not long before because they live not very far from the um, airport. But it was a small plane. Actually, it was the bomb coming down that he saw. And that was the explosion that I had heard. <clears throat> now, Walter was an Atlantic Coastline Railroad conductor. He his wife, Ethel May, or Effie, as we call her, had three children. Frances, the older girl, nine. They had twins, Walter and Helen. They were six, and then they had invited a cousin over to play that afternoon. So they were out in the yard playing. Walter was in his workshop. Effie was sewing. The children were outside when all of this took place. And the workshop that uh, Walter was in, some of the beams fell, uh, two by four, I presume, and skinned his arm. He was not knocked out or anything. <clears throat> so he realized something really terrible had happened and he went flying outside to see what happened to the children. Well, the air outside was black with smoke and full of dust and debris. Um, little Walter had gotten up from where he had been knocked down and he yelled out, Daddy, that plane crashed. Let's go see. Well, of course, they didn't go see right that moment. The girls, as I said, were thrown to the ground by the blast. The pines were sheared off some, and something struck Ella, who was the cousin, on the head. Effie, as I said, was yelling from the porch. She had been sitting at the sewing machine making Easter dresses or working on Easter dresses. And the house was falling down around her and a large piece of plaster came down and hit her on the head. And she tried to start out. She got to the porch, but the porch wasn't where it was supposed to be. There was no steps, and she could see that inside it was collapsing in on her. So, of course, she was yelling for Bill to, for Walter to come. In fact, me saying that, we called him Bill a lot of times. Um, she was yelling for him to come down and help her get off the porch. Now, there was a young man uh, passing by the highway, 301. He saw all of this smoke, and so he decided he'd turn off the highway and come and see if he could find out where the smoke was coming from. So when he got to the house, 
Of course, this had just happened, and they were all standing around in the yard in a state of shock. Blood was running down Elton's face, and Bill's arm was bleeding, and I think Effie had some um, scratches on her and cuts, so she was bleeding. Um, so he uh, decided he would take them, load them up, and take them back to Florence to the hospital because there was nobody else there to do that. And so they saw a state trooper, and they stopped, and they told him, a plane has crashed on here, and we're sure everybody's dead. So you might better radio somebody and come and see what's going on over there. Now, at the hospital, they were all treated for abrasions and contusions. Effie had a slight concussion. Um, her head was so numb, they didn't even have to give her anesthesia to stitch up her head. Um, Ella had a deep cut near her hairline that required 31 stitches. Uh, the other two, the twins seemed to be all right and didn't have major uh, problems at that time. Dr. Mead, who was a doctor at, at McLeod Infirmary at that time, he realized that they were really in a state of shock and by that time, the news was beginning to filter everywhere. So he took them home and put them up uh, overnight at his home. It was a blessing that the ground was soggy from rain, or that bomb would have gone off on impact. From then on, everything became official. I guess we should say uh, military, maybe. Um, the Air Force, the Civil Air Patrol, I think some of the Army, everybody was there when they learned a bomb had fallen. The newspapers, the TV, the photographers, everybody came to look and see. And the family, they told them they could not go home because by that time, a lot of the Air Force people were there. Crews moved over every inch of my brother's property to pick up bomb fragments and to check on radiation, which was most important. Walker said, oh, well, I've always wanted a swimming pool and now I've got a big hole in the yard we can use at no cost. The day after this, the family was all taken to Shaw Air Force Base for a physical exam, blood test, and so forth. Um, of course, they were more interested in radiation than anything else at this time, and they were pronounced unharmed, you know, not much wrong. But the real problems began. No car, no home, everything they had was destroyed. The house moved off its foundation and caving in on itself, crumpled up, covered with mud. 
no clothes, everything was filled with insulation. And they had to be thrown away. And of course, all the their goods in the house were broke. A lot were broken. The Air Force kept telling them, "We're gonna fix everything. We're gonna we're gonna take care of everything." Well, that didn't play out too well. Finally, they did find. And the next day or two, they found a little small apartment in Florence and moved into that while all of this other stuff was going on. They had um, appraisers to come in, but they wouldn't let the family go home. So if they couldn't tell them what was destroyed and what was not and what was there and what was not. So anyway, they got through going through all of the material. They shoveled it into boxes. They put it in a storage area. And for $28 and some cents a month, the charge went to my brother, Walter, to pay for it. Air Force didn't pick that up either. Now, Walter's family wasn't the only ones with claims, of course. My family home was knocked off the foundation and all the windows broken. Many of the homes in that area were damaged somewhat. The Baptist church, which was extremely close, had all the windows blown out. Now, with all the uh, people coming and going in the news and so forth, the TV show, and I think I remember this correctly, This Is Your Life, it was a live TV at that time. And they wanted them to come and be on that program. So they, I think it was New York. They took them there and they were on This Is Your Life program. Um, of course, the news went around the world. Now, after weeks and weeks of conferences with the Air Force, um, who kept telling them, we're going to make everything all right. We're going to take care of everything. But Effie almost had a total nervous breakdown from that. In fact, she never really, I don't think, recovered from that. The least things, uh, I mean, she always had health issues after that took place. Um, they finally found a small house in Florence, and it was a long time getting there. And finally, they let them go back to their property. Um, and they had, they, of course, were trying to dicker with the Air Force to get some reparation for this. They finally had to hire a lawyer. He advised them to sue for 300000 but all they got finally was 54000 the Air Force did not take into consideration the damage done to the family. It was total shock. And all of this, uh, you know, proved uh, debilitating to them all. They finally admitted that there had been some radiation out there scattered over the area. 
but claimed it was enough to cause real damage. Yet, Walter, the little the twin, he suffered cross eyes afterward, which he'd never had before, and eventually that was corrected. Um, Helen, not Helen, she was the one that didn't seem to have any uh, lasting effects. Francis developed a serious uh, kidney infection, which they think came from the dust and smoke and everything that was in the air at, at that time. Um, as, I, as I've already said, Effie suffered nervous um, nervousness and they all had problems sleeping for a while. Loud noises affected them. Um, they had nightmares for a while. But after weeks and months, some of that eased off. And they, and when finally people kept, quit coming to see them. The whole world um, knew about this. And they... Uh, in, in this country, they ha they had gotten, uh, in fact, they had been on the TV and the radio and the newspapers. The incident touched off a two-day orgy of love for the Gregs. They received thousands of letters and phone calls and those kinds of things. But in... It did have a lasting effect on the family. But the one good thing, I guess, we never got over it, but we weren't annihilated by the hydrogen bomb. I'm kind of shocked. Yes, <laughs> I'm just yes. in shock. Because you don't, first of all, you don't expect, even though you, we know what happened, then. It was so close, it's still hard to even like fully realize. And then I think that there's this obviously common misconception where people think even if the government makes a mistake that they'll make it correct. And that's obviously not true. Um, so I wonder, did they ever, was there ever any follow-up care for them? Or was it just a blanket $54,000 settlement? Um, they may have received individual monies from uh, people or whatever, but that was all that the the uh, Air Force uh, the military ever gave them. I was reading this, and it, apparently the Air Force went around and picking up all the shrapnel. Oh, yeah, they had. Even, like, if you had it in your hand, they would take it away from you. It, yeah. In fact, I had a piece which I had gotten later, and uh, I kept and I finally gave it to my one of my twins. Mm -hmm. But they did, uh, picking up the pieces, and um, they would take it from you. They mm -hmm. didn't let any, they didn't want anything that was there to go away from that site. Because they didn't, the radiation was the big thing at that time, mm -hmm. you know. But they, uh, like I said, they wouldn't let them go back home for a long, long time. Did they ever live on that property again? No. 
um, finally in years past, uh, Walter sold his property and it doesn't even look like it used to, but um, after they purchased a house in Florence, they lived there the rest of their lives in that house in town. Do y'all have any? I'm just trying to put myself in everybody's shoes back then. It had to be just insurmountable hysteria, middle of the Cold War's going on. Mm -hmm. um, I read in this article that Congress even investigated to find out if um, some of the crew members were had mental issues and then also if they were communists. They were trying to figure out, you know, was there an ulterior motive? And I can't imagine what was going through everybody's minds. Um, and even on that part, can you imagine being one of the crew members that oh, accidentally gosh. did that? Or the guy that almost fell out? Right. Mm. I was reading in this article right here that um, one of them said when it happened, well, let's go ahead and go off to Brazil. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's that bad. And I was reading this one that it, the newspapers in Britain actually got more coverage than, than our newspapers did. They actually knew more about the bomb falling because it was there was a pretty dense cover-up as far as American oh American news. But British news had more information on the bomb dropping. Than yeah, that. they tried to keep everything covered up as much as they could uh -huh. at that time. I was going to ask you, as all of this is going on and they're investigating, did they um, stay in touch with the family and give them updates, or were they just kind of frozen out of the investigation? Um, they didn't keep up with the family very much. Every now and then, I think eventually the crew that was on the plane did finally come some years later and pay them a visit. But uh, as far as keeping updates, and um, they did. No, newspapers did keep up. I mean, because they brought that up. Uh, in fact, the matter, y'all could probably look, pull it up online from the Florence Morning News, because that was the big paper around here at yeah. that time. There's a 2008 article. Yeah, I, I had a lot, of, but I don't know what I did with them. I think I... I yeah. also read over here, it says some hunk, some of those hunks of mud must have weighed around 1,000 pounds, because when the bomb hit, mm -hmm. mud just hit everybody's mm -hmm. roofs, it hit. Well, uh, I, can't, I keep thinking and uh, that the children were out in the yard, and evidently, the um, the blast came up and over them. I think that was the only thing that saved so them from dying, was that the blast went up and over and did not, because uh, they were not harmed that it much. It was really a blessing that nobody didn't, didn't yeah. die. I mean, it was just everything had to work perfectly for it, people not to die in this tragedy. Because, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. I mean, the, that's what the bomb's purpose is. You know. And the ground being wet. That's that thing. was a, yeah. much like this was been going on now with all this rain. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, the pond you were talking about in the beginning of the story, is that what's left now? The crater? Is it? There's, a, there's a crater still there um, in the woods. I, I doubt you can get to it now. Um, mm -hmm. Some years back, um, Miss Yarborough, y'all, uh, 
from the Florence side. She's a history. I'm not sure exactly what her title is. But anyway, they wanted to get up a Remembrance Day, and they cleaned up the site where you could walk and get to it, and they had people to come and tell their parts of the stories. This was some years ago. But oh, okay. that big crater, I mean, that is, of course, it's filled in some since then, but that hole is still in the ground over there. How deep do you think the hole was? I mean, you you know, you really can't tell by the picture here, but could somebody stand in oh, the yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, you would. Like you, 20 you, feet? Oh, or, yeah. Okay, uh -huh. okay. It's because it's hard to imagine. Mm -hmm. I didn't think, I didn't realize how big they were. Yeah. The bombs, I didn't realize they were so large. Yeah, yeah. said that they were um, 20 feet long at least. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. There was, you know, in describing a lot of that stuff, it, they, uh, it was big and bulky and, and was supposed to be tied down. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, that guy almost got uh, sucked out of the plane. Yes, that was yes. trying to get it fixed. Back up. What? Was it ever released what they were doing? They were just on, like you all were saying, this was during the Cold War, mm -hmm. and everybody was uh, nervous about mm -hmm. it. I mean, everybody was crazy in that era, mm -hmm. I think. Um, it says the bomber was flying from Hunter Air Force Base in Savannah, Georgia participating in a mock mission in which yeah, they were supposed they to were fly to England. Yeah, mission. Yeah. Flying um, out. Mm -hmm. I think they would go out over the ocean and come back and mm -hmm. that type of thing. I think it's interesting that they were talking about those sorts of bombs were pretty much even obsolete at that point in time. Mm -hmm. um, for our listeners, what Haley and Rhonda are referencing is Ms. Beeson provided us with some articles, um, several different articles, a few of which actually feature pictures of your family members, correct? Um, and we've scanned those in and we'll include them on our website with this story. Um, Ms. Beeson, being as it's such a hard thing to process, I'm sure that us and maybe the listeners will come up with follow-up questions. Would it be all right if we invited you back to answer some of those? Mm -hmm. Thank you for being glad. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. If you have any follow-up questions for Ms. Beeson, please drop them in the comments on our Facebook page, and we'd be happy to do a follow-up interview. Tune in later today for a special part two of this episode of On This Day in History, March 11th, 1958, the bombing of Marsh Bluff, South Carolina.